0: Welcome to Mastering the Attention Economy podcast. I'm your host, Ari Lewis. Twice a week, we interview entrepreneurs, executives, and industry leaders on how to break through the noise and capture the audience's attention. Today's guest is John Yedinak. John is the president and co-founder of Aging Media, the leading business-to-business media company covering the $7.6 trillion business of aging services and care. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so John, you know, I, I discovered you through Twitter and you wrote this great piece on, you know, the vertical media landscape on on Medium, which for those listening and, and those watching on YouTube I'll I'll share a link. But let's start there. Can you talk about sort of your thesis behind vertical media and how it led you to founding Aging Media?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I wish I I, I wish I could say that, like, you know, I had this grand idea in mind when we started Aging Media, um, but, you know, it came from a much simpler place. But the reason that I think we see so much uh, opportunity in vertical media is that it's kind of the one area where I don't think a lot of at least media and publishers have explored deep enough um, to really see the value in it, where everybody was chasing scale and chasing, um, more and more eyeballs where what we learned early on was that it's not always about the size of your audience, but the quality of your audience. And so the more that you go vertical, I think you automatically find people that are more interested in your content that are more engaged rather than just the passer buyers that I think you end up getting when you're chasing just massive amounts of page views. And so when we started aging media, we didn't have any money. We couldn't really go after these massive audiences. And so we had to have a different approach. And so we started to focus on these, um, I don't like to use the term niche cause I think it makes it seem small, but we're, we obviously focus on aging, which is an $8 trillion industry. And each of our verticals can be anywhere from 20 billion to, you know, probably I'd say upwards of a $200 billion industry. And so what we've done is we start to really look for. We try and find the highest quality list of people or build a high quality list, um, slow, not necessarily slowly, but a high quality list of people that are really influencing the industries that we cover. And to do that, you need exclusive content and content that's not out there. And so we create exclusive uh, insights and analysis that people can't find anywhere else. And you start to attract those people. And so it's much more about the quality of your audience rather than the size of your audience when you get into B2B and vertical media.
0: Yeah. And, you know, what I I think was really interesting about what you're doing and sort of we've seen this shift from there was all this free content that's proliferated across the internet. And now everyone is, you know, starting their own Substack, starting their own paid publication. But I think what's cool about what you guys are doing is you're sort of a model on how to scale it. You know, do you think that It's sort of sustainable with all these people launching their, you know, vertical media companies through Substack. Do you think they can create the scale that you have or is that not a sustainable trend?
1: Yeah, I think Substacks are, I don't know, I was talking to a buddy of mine about this. Substack is a great way for individual people to launch, uh, you know, media companies that they want to pay the bills, in my opinion. Um, if you want to start to really build something bigger, I think you need to actually have people. I mean, I think there's only so many Ben, ben Thomases, or Ben Thompsons of the world building strategies that are making millions of dollars. And I have mad amounts of respect for what he's done and what he's built. But I don't think there's necessarily thousands of those out there. Um, and so I think it's one of those where I actually really like Substack. I think from a B2B and a vertical media standpoint, it's a great place to start. But if you really start to gain traction, I'd be shocked that you don't want to own the control process, own the whole process from there, and maybe you wouldn't rely on Substack. But maybe they start to build out, you know, tools that enable you to make even more money. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I think all the Substack is just—it's a great way for individual journals and individual creators to get started fast and easy, and to really focus on what they do best, which is create. And I, I think it's—it's it's brilliant. It's simple. Um, but as somebody that runs a media business that requires. People, (laughs) Um, it it only goes so far for most individual creators, in my personal opinion.
0: Yeah, so we had Harry Campbell, um, who runs the the RideShare blog on on the podcast, and you know his vertical is focused on the gig economy. One of the topics he discussed was, you know, there's sort of these two types of creators: people who are content focused, and then people who are like business entrepreneurial focused. You know, when you're starting out, do you think it's more important to like just be a really good content person and be producing tons of content or do you think it's more important to be like a business person focusing on, you know, finding the right audience and, you know, content is more secondary to that?
1: You know, I I think you always have to lead with the content, but I'd also preface that with that. I think you need a little bit of both to be successful. You need to be good at content, but then you also have to have a certain amount of business sense to be able to monetize it where, you know, at the end of the day, everything that we do all starts with the editorial and the content. And I think I was lucky enough when we got started, I was just a one man band. So that's why I think I feel relatively personally attached to the Substack stuff. Cause it's like my people, you know, <laughs> people just like me, uh, that got started, but I, I, I won't necessarily say I'm a gifted editorial person, but I was good enough to get it started. And so, but then I also think I had the business sense and frankly, business need to make a, make a living. Um, which is kind of how aging media got started, but I think you need a little bit of both. I mean, I think the best editorial people in my opinion actually understand the business side because when you marry the editorial side with the business side in the right way, I think you just strike gold and so I think it 's one of those where you really need to focus on both um, i mean you need to focus on both to make a living like you can't you can 't really have one without the other in my opinion
0: yeah, and you know I, I guess on that note, do you think that or, or what do you think drives people, especially in the B2B space, to pay for premium content over, you know, getting it for free? Obviously, the work you're doing, I assume, is, is fairly difficult to find for free. You know, the New York Times or even smaller publications, right, like Axios is writing deep dives on the aging industry. But but what differentiates you guys from, oh, I want to pay for a paid product versus a free product? You know, how does how do you convince customers to cross that?
1: So our main product is actually free, and then we have other ways that we monetize through events, through paid research products, through uh, you know paid webinars, virtual events now with COVID, obviously. Um, but so ours is kind of like top of the funnel, the free content's what gets you hooked. And then we have a lot of services that we then offer to you to monetize you in different ways. So um, in terms of what makes us unique is that we're really focusing on certain aspects of the market that, frankly, most people just don't have the resources to do. But once you find these big markets that, in my opinion, each market we get into, we do have competition for the most part. But I would just say that it's competition that I don't think serves their markets well. Um, that typically is just churning out you know, random B2B shitty press releases that they're rewriting. And so what we found is that when you start to create exclusive content and analysis, which takes a long time and requires a lot of phone calls and requires relationships. That's the kind of stuff that other people can't replicate very easier or very easy, and so it makes us almost indispensable to the industries that we cover. And I think that's really where we're trying to go to, where you know our motto is exclusive news and analysis that people can't find anywhere else. Where really what we're trying to get to is we're trying to become essential in people's lives. Where if you're in these industries, it's essential that you read what we put out every day, because not only does it help you feed your families or you know <laughs> be able to survive everybody's talking about what we're writing about. And I think that's one of the things that I love about B2B is that our editorial teams, when these guys go to con- or conferences and when they meet people, it's like they're literally rock stars. And so I think this also comes back to the creator economy where it's like these people influence massive, massive industries on a daily basis. And so when they see these people, And they get mobbed at a conference because they notice their profile pictures and all the articles that they're writing. It's a cool experience. And I think that's been one of my frustrations with just the media and journalism business that nobody's paying attention to B2B and vertical media because it's not fucking BuzzFeed. It's like, you know, but it's massive industries and people can have a huge influence on people's lives every day. It's just in a different way. And so I don't know. That's I'll get off my soapbox now.
0: And I think, I think at least, you know, you, you can take from that that you guys are making the money while many of these, you know, companies that are focused on consumers like BuzzFeed are, are in deep financial trouble.
1: Yeah, like, I, 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 honestly, I don't know. Their financial position doesn't sound great, but, like, I'm not going to say I'm smart. I mean, I... I wouldn't know how to do that per se. I mean, what we've always, you know, I think when you don't have a lot of money, you have to make wise decisions. And so I think, you know, <laughs> we made decisions that we wanted to and scale something we, that was never achievable for us, especially when people were raising a bunch of money. But um, I think the future of just media in general is going to be vertical and niche because um, there can only be so many huge sites, in my opinion. But the rest is open, you know, it's open season.
0: Yeah. So I guess on that note, you know, how important is free content as a lead generator to convert people to paid, you know, because I think a lot of, you know, websites I'm on, I I get linked to a lot of business insider articles and they, they constantly now, like every article seems to be paid. You know, do you need a tease that free to convert people to paid? Do you see models where it's like exclusively paid and there is no, you know, free content at all? What, you know, what's the balance there?
1: You know, I think everybody's doing it different ways. If if it was me, I definitely like the idea of having the free stuff um, to get people hooked. It's like you kind of need like the gateway drug to get them to the good stuff. But it's one of those where I've seen people who have only you know have a hard paywall and they don't let you in. But I think that's going to take a longer time to build um, and be successful. But that it's a model and it's worked for people in the past. But. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like if you're creating good stuff, you kind of deserve to be paid for. Now, whether you do that through ads or whether you do that through events or you know paid subscriptions in different ways, it's like it takes people to create this stuff and to create the good stuff. And I think you need to be confident enough to charge. Um, and that, to be honest, that's something that we've developed kind of a muscle for over the years where it's scary to, you know, put up a paywall or it's scary to put a $200 price tag on that report. But at the end of the day, it's like, you got to look at it and say, look how much work we put into this. Like people can't recreate this stuff. And so it's one of those where have confidence in what you're building. And as long as it's, you know, in depth quality and stuff that people can't get elsewhere. It's like, it deserves, you deserve to be paid. It's just a matter of finding out how exactly you can get it. So.
0: How do you balance the decision between like, this is a free content piece versus this is a paid content piece? Do you go into it saying like, this is going to be a piece of free content? And I know, and maybe I don't know if you're the experts to talk to about this. But I think for a lot of like smaller folks out there, especially people who are starting Substacks, I know they struggle with like, should this be my free piece? Should this be my paid piece? You know, how to decide which is which?
1: Yeah. So somebody that doesn't have a sub stack, I don't want to be the expert telling them, uh, you know, how to run their sub stacks, but, um, I get a lot of them. And so I, you know, I think people like Jacob who runs a media operator does a great job. Um, he has, you know, uh, free stuff that he uses to hook you to the pay, but I think there kind of has to be a, a different hook to get people to pay. And, Full disclosure, 95% of the content that we produce every day is actually free. So again, we monetize you through different ways, through paid research reports and stuff like that. So it's a different product for us. Um, Now, do I see us rolling out a paywall eventually? And the answer is yes. Um, It's just, we're not rushing towards it. Like I feel like everybody's just going towards it right now just because they think it's the new hot thing. Um, And while I do see it as a, a, for us it's always been about diversification. So we're incredibly diversified as a media business. We make money in so many different ways. And I really see the paywall as just one more way to monetize kind of our our uh, massive fans, you know, that are reading us, you know, 30 times a month or something like that, where I think they'd be happy to pay. But if somebody's only reading us five times a month, I still really want that person. And there are a lot of value to us, but I have to monetize them different ways. So I think, and that's where it comes back to one of your original questions, is it better to be good at content or business? And then you kind of have to have both in order to think about them, where you have to understand what makes good content, but then at the same time, also understand how you monetize that um, that traffic and that audience.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you you talked about monetization and sort of diversifying revenue streams. You know, how, how important is it for folks to rely on other revenue streams, right? Like, you know, I talked about the attention economy, and one of the things that seems to be a recurring theme is don't be relying on ads, you know, ad supported businesses, especially in vertical media is not going to work. You know, can you dive deeper? I know you touched on it. Like some of your other, you know, revenue streams and why it's important to diversify.
1: Yeah, so I'm not actually anti-ad. I think people that are anti-ad are anti-revenue. Um, in my opinion, and I don't think that's a good way to build a business. So, I mean, now our display ads, you know, with the 300 by two fifty banner gonna, you know, are they gonna solve the, all the problems? Absolutely not. But you know, if you have that option, get some money. Um, but I think it's one of those where we look at, we have a lot of success with like email text ads. So people, you know, simple text ads with a really good call to action are kind of, they've come back into vogue and the reason they've come back into vogue is cause they work. And so I think it's one of those people always say, ooh, ads are bad, but like not all ads are bad. Like we sell a lot of ads and we make a a great living here, you know, doing what we're doing. And I think in terms of diversification, you have to be, I mean, if you look at the last 90 days of COVID and probably for the next year, if you're, if you're a primarily events based media company, you're screwed. And so it's one of those where you have to be diversified and you have to have all these different channels that you can start to um, go after to monetize, to kind of. Um, you know, make up for maybe not all the lost revenue, but much less revenue than you would have gotten from, you know, in-person events, um, you know, this year.
0: Yeah. So you touched on like the concept of fandom, but then, you know, you also t- con- touched on the concept of like events-based businesses. And I actually want to tie the two together. What do you think of like these businesses where they were primarily events, media businesses, and now they're like soliciting donations for their, uh, you know, businesses is that, is that a good model? Is that also like, Oh, if you build a business around, you know, you have these obsessive fans, they'll donate money to you. Like, does that actually work?
1: I mean, we've never done anything like donate. We've always just developed products that people have to pay for, but it's one of those, I actually really like events businesses. And I really look at events and I think our thoughts have kind of changed over the last 24 months on this, but we really look at live events now and going forward, at least for our businesses, it's ways for people to come together and to meet and to connect and network. And again, I think it's one of those where those kind of are our raving fans a little bit—the ones that will pay money to not only attend our event for anywhere from you know three hundred to a thousand bucks for a ticket, but then also spend the time, which in our industries is probably the most valuable thing, as well as the hotel, the flight, and all that kind of stuff, to really come and meet with people. And that, at the end of the day, if you pull off the event in the right way, and people do deals, and people can network, and people can really form these like great relationships at your event they're going to come back next year. So I think it's really one of those that feeds on itself. But I think what COVID's taught us is that you can have that amazing events business, but you need other things around it. So you can still connect with them virtually, whether it's through emails, whether it's through, you know, digital events, whether it's through research reports or webinars, I mean, you name it. And I, I think, you know, we've been really lucky where we've done so much and we've probably tried everything that we're decent at I don 't want to say all of them, but we kind of are we 're decent at all of them there 's some things that we 're better at, but it 's enabled us to lean on things when other things aren 't working i mean you just can 't have a live in person event right now like you know I, as an entrepreneur i I feel for anybody that had like a major just all alive it like that's i feel so bad but at this at the same point it 's like uh, yeah I, I don't know. I mean I feel horrible it's just it, it stinks there 's a lot there 's a lot of good business people that got stuck in a really bad place
0: yeah and you know I, I on that note too right I think events businesses are great like they monopolize people's attention right when you go like all they're thinking is aging media but at the same time you know these um event businesses you know to your point you need you need to you need to have diversification you need to you need to figure out um other ways to 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 connect with people what you know what advice do you have for Folks that you know we're we're doing these live events businesses or or people who are you know considering maybe launching a live event business after this like you know where are good places to start in terms of you know building a digital presence on top of that that events business.
1: Yeah, I mean at the end of the day, like I you know I, we're still looking at launching new events. Now will we do them next year? Probably not, but you know never say never. Um, so I still like event businesses as a whole, like in person. Um, but I still like, we've learned to like virtual events too. But I mean, at the end of the day, all of it comes down to is your audience and building that engaged, you know, community that you're doing now, whether that's through Substack, your own media company, um, however you look at it, but it's like, you have to earn every single one of those subscribers. And I think that's one of the things that gets lost a lot when people start to chase scale is that it just becomes, you know, it's like this paid marketing arbitrage where we've taken a different approach where it's like, we, we, we earn every subscriber we get. You know, we don't have a paid marketing budget, at least at this point. Um, something that we should be doing, but it's just, you know, there's a million rabbits right now and we can only chase so many. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to your audience and taking care of your audience and making sure that you become an essential part of their day. And that's really, really hard. <laughs> so, um, but the only way you get better at something is by practicing, right? And so, I mean, that's at least how I look at it.
0: Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, to, to end it as, as we wrap things up, you know, one of the things with, with you guys is that you've, you've sort of moved up market or maybe not even up market is the right word, but most of your, you know, price tags for your customers are higher while like these sub stack businesses are, you know, B2C, they're, they're 20 bucks a month. Do you think it's a natural evolution for most of these vertical media companies to move up market in that, you know, if you start in business strategy or you're, you're starting with a, a regular person and then five years from now your goal is to be selling to like PE or, or VCs and, and selling institutional research. Do you think that's a, a natural evolution for many of these B2B vertical media companies is to move up market?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think naturally B2B, you're typically, you're, since the, you're not looking to reach as many people, the value of their time, in my opinion, the and the time it takes to reach them is higher and so it costs more. So I think you should be paid more for it. Um, but no, I mean, pricing strategy, it's like one of those, let's be real. Like, I mean, the majority of time you just throw out a number and hope it works. Um, so I think you just kind of figure that out as you go. But I do think there's a lot of people with Substack and stuff, it's like they're not valuing their time enough, in my opinion. Um, I mean, if you're charging five bucks a month, why wouldn't you charge 10?
0: Like, you <laughs> know,
1: people really get that. But like, there's not that much of a difference. And so I think it's one of those. But if you have a thousand people and there's a, there's a, big number there, like that, that changes things. And so I, I actually have, um, friends, um, that are looking to start one and they're like throwing pricing out at me. I'm like back into the number that you need to leave or to live uh, like the life that you want to live. And then figure out okay i need a thousand people at this price to hit that number and i feel like that's always a good place to start at least that's how i'd approach it it's like what do i need to live a happy life and then i try and back into it that way but i think that first thousand people whether you're doing a Substack or whether you're building a media company is so hard to do um, if you're not just you know funneling it with a bunch of paid ads that once you get to a thousand, I think that's where you start to really see some success.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's a great framework to, to think about it. But John, you know, really want to thank you for for coming on the podcast today. Um, you know, just for for those listening, to, those watching, you know, can you tell us uh, where where can they find you on the internet? You know, where can they find Aging Media?
1: Yeah, you can find Aging Media, which was started by me and my brother George, uh, AgingMedia and then uh, I'm on Twitter, um, J R Y E D I N A K. <laughs> um, just, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out. Thanks. Great. And uh,
0: the links will, will be in the, the show notes and, and on the, the YouTube channel. Well, thanks everyone for, for joining and until next time, I'll, I'll see you then. I appreciate it, man. Thank you.